Hello there. Uh, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to welcome you to uh, another TNT. We thank God for each and every one of you who may be joining us as far as um, live stream is concerned, either Facebook Live or Vimeo or on YouTube. We are more than appreciative of you joining in at this time. Unfortunately, our phone lines are down at the moment. And so we're uh, hoping to get those back up so you cannot call in at the time. So if you would uh, share with those who you know would normally try to call in, let them know that uh, it's going to be hard to get in because our phone lines are down. Unfortunately, that's one of the drawbacks as far as technology is concerned. What I want to do is I, we want to continue our study on Philippians chapter 1. We want to look at verses 12 through 19 for today and what I want to do is before we get started is to have a word of prayer so we can sense and seek what it is that God would desire to do in this moment so let's go to the Lord in prayer God on this Thursday we come and we bless your holy and righteous name we pray right now that you the master teacher would show up and illuminate our hearts and minds and spirits to understand and to apply what we learn as far as this teaching is concerned. God, we don't ever want to take for granted how your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. So God, if you would, in your own sovereign way, show yourself mighty and strong. You are the master rabbi. We are the students. And so, Lord, we desire to sit at your feet and to catch the pearls of wisdom that comes from your heart. So, Lord, if you would, at this moment, wherever we may be, uh, manifest yourself in a very powerful way so that we can learn more of thee to become more like Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray this prayer. Amen. As we prepare to move forward as far as our time of study is concerned, what I want to do is I want to um, look at the scripture for today and if we could to do some exegetical work real quick or some digging, some marking up. And so if we would, let's start at verse 12 of chapter 1. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version and you can Follow along with me, whatever translation you have, and highlight or mark up words that may be similar to what I'm going to share with you. Verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, the things which happen, and I want you to underline the things which happen, to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to underline the words, the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become evident, circle the word evident, to the whole palace guard and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. Underline the phrase, my chains are in Christ. And then I want you to circle the words, my chains. Verse 14, 
and most other brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, circle the words, my chains, and then draw a line from my chains in verse 14 to my chains in verse 13. Having become more confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If you would highlight the phrase to speak the word without fear. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ. Highlight the phrase preach Christ. Even from envy and strife, circle the word envy. Circle the word strife. And some also from goodwill, circle the word goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition. I want you to highlight the phrase, preach Christ from selfish ambition. Circle the words, preach Christ, and then draw a line to the words, preach Christ, to the words, preach Christ in verse 15. Not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Highlight the words, my chains, and then draw a line to the words, my chains, in verse 14. But the latter out of love, for knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. If you would, highlight the phrase, the defense of the gospel. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, highlight the phrase, in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, highlight the phrase, my deliverance, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. Circle the word prayer and circle the word supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We'll stop right there. And if you would highlight the phrase, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. We have a lot that we want to unpack for this time that is ours. And what I want to do is I want to kind of give some oversight as far as those who are hearing me, that whenever you engage in doing God's work, that whenever you are serious about doing ministry, you're going to have some adversity and you will have some adversaries. In other words, you will have some enmity and you will have some enemies. And what Paul wants us to understand is that as we start doing this work, that one thing that I want to drop on you is that the enemy, the devil, will do everything that he can to prevent you and me from doing what God will have for us to do. Paul gives us insight 
as he shared with the Philippians to let them know that, number one, he is not in a ball of tears while he's in prison. And he does not want them to be too overly concerned about his jail sentence. As a matter of fact, he kind of encourages them to praise God or give thanks to God for what has taken place in his life. Because even though he may not be able to be with them in the physical form, he is able to pray for them and he's able to write this letter of encouragement to them. And even in prison, Paul is preaching the gospel. In prison, Paul is leading people to Jesus Christ by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing that we got to understand is that ever since the church came into existence, the devil has been trying to keep the gospel from going forth. For example, on the, the day of Pentecost, when uh, those 120 men and women were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that they had tongues of fire like tongues of fire over their head and they spoke in various languages. On the day of Pentecost, the enemy was trying to make it seem like they were drunk. And Paul had to rebuke that. Not Paul, Peter had to rebuke that. As the church continued to grow in Acts chapter 5, if you would notice that the people came together, they sold their goods, they gave to the common call so that those who had need could have those needs addressed. And in Acts chapter 5, a man and a woman by the name of Ananias and Sapphari uh, tried to pull the wool over the apostles' eyes by selling some land and keeping part of the proceeds for themselves. But they were trying to pretend that they had given all the money from the proceeds. And the Holy Spirit, through Peter, called them out and struck them dead because they were lying. Then when you look at Acts chapter 6, as the church is continuing to grow, um, there came an issue that was raised because of ethnicity. The Greek Jews and the Hebrew Jews kind of had a conflict. The widows of the Greek Jews were not getting a fair share of what the Hebrew Jews were getting as far as their widows were concerned. And if it had not been handled properly, it could have split the church. And so the apostles called the congregation together, had the congregation to agree with the apostles that they would select seven men full of wisdom, a good report, and the Holy Spirit, that they the apostles could place over those matters while they could give themselves continually to the study of the word and to prayer. So that's how the office of deacon came into being. And then, even as Paul started his missionary journey of preaching and teaching and healing, the devil tried to use strife to keep the gospel from spreading. So Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement about John Mark because Paul had an issue with John Mark and the enemy could have used that conflict to stop the gospel from spreading but God used it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. Barnabas took John Mark went one way Paul took Silas and went another way and the gospel continued to spread. 
So I want you to understand that God's will mean you don't have to worry about what comes your way because God can use you in any situation when you're doing what the Lord will have for you to do. Now, I'll be honest, there are sometimes we're not in places where we want to be or where we think we should be. But when you're in the will of God, God can use you anywhere. And if you're where God wants you to be, then you're in the right place regardless of what you think the right place is. So I want to encourage you, do good work wherever you are. And if you do good work wherever you are, watch God have a lasting impact. Watch God have a lasting impact. So the word continued to spread. Even in prison, Paul is given a testimony about who Jesus is. And I can imagine he shared his testimony on what happened to him on the road to Damascus. I can imagine he shared with others how he had been shipwrecked and being within an inch of his life, and yet the Lord continued to use him. So let's look at verse 13. And as we go to verse 13, we see that even though Paul was at prison, the church at Rome was being blessed because he was preaching the gospel even in prison. He was preaching to the soldiers in prison. He was preaching to anyone who would listen. And the church at Rome continued to grow because Paul was preaching the gospel even in jail. So even though Paul is locked up, he is having a positive impact on the, the church at Rome. Even though Paul is locked up, he continues to become a feeder for the church at Rome because by him sharing the gospel, people wanted to seek out the common community of believers. So notice what it says, so that it has become evident that the whole guard and all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. So Paul basically wants us to understand that I would rather be a slave to Christ, doing what Christ will have for me to do, than to be free and do what I want to do. So in verse 14, verse 14, we see that Paul's bondage becomes strength for others. The Christians who are at Rome are amazed because of Paul's boldness. Even though he was in prison, Paul had no problem sharing his testimony. Even though he's in the jail cell, it did not prevent Paul from sharing the gospel. The question that we need to wrestle with in today's culture is, can you share your testimony? Can you share the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of the situation that you're in? A whole lot of us love to talk about how good the Lord has been among other believers. But can you share how good the Lord is with non-believers? Can you share how good God has been to you in a situation that may necessarily be conducive to people receiving what you have to share? Now, you got to understand that the issue with Paul's testimony is that it could have been used against him because Paul was really proclaiming Jesus Christ 
to be king, to be greater than Caesar. So Paul did not care about the fact that his preaching lifted up Jesus Christ as Lord of all. So through his bondage, through his preaching, through his testimony, it becomes strength for those who are weak. If you notice, there's a phrase I ask you to underline, to speak the word without fear. You cannot be afraid to share your testimony, and you should not ever be afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the gospel? Uh, let, me, let me answer that. The gospel deals with the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The life of Jesus. How God sent Jesus Christ in human form. Jesus becomes one of us. God becomes like us, yet without sin. The ministry of Jesus Christ, where he went about doing good, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, where he hung out with sinners, where he hung out with people who, that were on the fringes, that were marginalized. Um, the death of Jesus, how he died on a Roman crucifix, which was considered to be the most shameful and the most painful of all executions at that time and even to this modern day. How he was buried. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, Joseph's tomb. Then on the third day after his crucifixion, God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's very much alive. We serve a risen Savior. That's the gospel. And so that's kind of strange to share back then, and it's even kind of strange to share Right now, why? Because we live in a scientific, logical age that may try to debunk that. But I'm here to raise this interrogative or raise this question. They still have yet to find the dead body of Jesus. Why? Because he's not dead. He's very much alive and he is at the right hand of God the Father. So that's the gospel. That's the just of the gospel. And it requires faith to roll with Jesus. Now, I do want to say that when you're doing what the Lord will have for you to do, notice Paul talks about in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from good will. Now, this is kind of where I want to drill down and, and, and hang my hat because you've got some preachers who pretend. Not everybody is serious about ministry. Even those who sense a call from Jesus Christ. Not everybody is serious about ministry. Let, let me just, if I could, share my process when people come and tell me that they believe that God has called him or her to preach. And whenever anyone tells me that, part of sensing their sincerity is to see if they're willing to do the work. 
And so usually what I do is whenever anyone tells me that he or she has been called to preach, um, I ask them to continue to pray about it. And I give them some homework assignments. And part of the homework assignment is for them, number one, to write a spiritual autobiography. Okay? After they write a spiritual biography and they submit it, then I will have them to read about four books and do a synopsis of each book. One book is dealing with the call. Two books are dealing with your call as far as that's concerned. One book is dealing with preaching. The other one is dealing with ministry. So four books. And after they read and do a synopsis, on those four books, then I will set a date for them to do a trial sermon. Now, here's the thing. I do not call anybody or check up on them and ask them, when are you going to give me your report? I figure that if you've been called by God, that if you sense that God has placed a call upon your life, you're willing to do the work. Because guess what? The last thing I need is a lazy preacher. The last thing that God needs is another lazy preacher. So I don't want to add to God's disappointment. Interestingly, when I place these requirements upon folks, I've had quite a few folks who said, no, that's not what I'm signing up for. And that's okay. Because the work of ministry is not for the faint in heart. Now, Go back to my statement. Not everybody is serious about ministry. Not everybody is serious about ministry. And, and what you got to understand that even in ministry, you can have envy and strife. Because there were some people back then who were jealous of Paul's success. But I bet you they weren't willing to go through what Paul went through in order to be successful. Okay? Because what they saw as Paul's success, they sit, did not see behind the scenes the stress and strain that Paul had to deal with. Okay? They did not understand how, on many occasions, Paul had been rejected as far as the gospel is concerned, beaten within an inch of his life, shipwrecked, ran out of town, had rocks thrown at him, dealt with disappointment, Disgust, disillusionment, headache, and heartache. They didn't understand all the stuff that Paul had to go through. So what they saw, like an iceberg, was the tip. They didn't see, like an iceberg, all the stuff beneath the surface. So what these persons did was that they talked about Paul. There was a rivalry. Okay? Paul was probably leading more people to Christ in jail than they were leading people to free while they were free outside of jail. All right? So, envy or jealousy. Then there's strife. Strife is rivalry, division, discord. There was competition <laughs> among the preaching ranks. God knows it happens even today especially on social media. I see 
some comments on social media where somebody would put out, uh, who, who is your top five preachers? You know, or who has the best hoop? You know, eh, we need to stop that because there's not competition. We may have our favorites, and we may have people that we like more, but there should not be competition when it comes to preaching. All right? So instead of them preaching the gospel, those who didn't like Paul, they were preaching against Paul. All right? They were preaching against Paul. They want to turn people against Paul rather than turn people to the truth of the gospel. Again, we see it in today's culture. Now, what I want you to understand is that there's a difference between you being jealous of another preacher and you calling a preacher out on doctrinal heresy. Or you calling another preacher out on misuse of scripture. Okay? There's a difference. Let me say that again. There's a difference between you calling the preacher out on doctrinal heresy or misuse of scripture versus you being jealous of a preacher because he or she got more folks than you. Okay? All right. So, you got those who are pretenders, and then you also got those who are passionate. Okay? The B clause of verse 15, and some from goodwill. Those were passionate preachers. They were serious about the gospel. They were on the same page with Paul. They wanted to see the unsaved get saved. They wanted to see the gospel of liberation go forth. They were excited about the transformative, redemptive, liberating power of the gospel that was being taught and preached by Paul. So they saw Paul as a partner, not as a rival. Let me say it again. They saw Paul as a partner, not as a rival. I contend that when you have a heart for ministry, when you're serious about preaching and teaching and loving God's people, you really don't care who gets the credit. Just as long as lives are being changed. You don't have a Trumpian spirit. You know, that dude in the White House, every time something happens, he goes around saying, well, you know, I don't get credit for it. You don't do anything. You don't do anything to really get credit for anything. You really don't do anything. I'm sorry, that's my soliloquy. We're supposed to have a compelling ministry, not a competitive ministry. Compelling, not competitive. And so, and so, here at St. Paul, we're called to be the best St. Paul that God has called us to be. And while we can pull and learn things from other ministries, regardless of size, regardless of ethnicity, we're called to be what God would have for us to be at St. Paul. Okay? All right. Jealousy and strife 
really shouldn't have any place in the pulpit. Now, I'm going to say this, and I pray that this blesses you. Don't allow the method and ministry of another mess with you as long as the gospel message is the same. Don't allow for somebody else's method and ministry mess with you as long as the message is the same. As long as they're preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, you ought to be celebrating it. You ought to be celebrating it. All right? Now, what I've discovered, though, is that even in God's sovereign way, God can use pretenders. That's in verse 16. God can use pretenders. What? Yeah, watch this. Verse 16, the former, those who preach for envy and strife, the former, that's what he means when he says the former, preach from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. There's a purpose for pretenders. Because pretenders want to make a name for themselves. God knows we got that in today's culture where folks want to make a name for themselves. They want to see how many hits they can get on YouTube. They want to see how many likes they can get on Facebook. They want to see how many retweets they can get on Twitter. Sister and brother preacher, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about you making a name for yourself. It's about lifting up the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And so when you try to make a name for yourself, you put down other folks. They were trying to besmirch Paul's character. They were trying to stress out Paul. They wanted to make Paul miserable behind jail cell. They wanted to inflict spiritual pain upon Paul and add to his misery in prison. That's what selfish ambition will do. When others try to add misery to your life, you have to decide how you're going to handle the misery. And I want to give you three ways in which you handle misery from other folks' ministry. <laughs> the first one is live peaceably with yourself and others. You got to live peaceably with yourself and others. In other words, you can't let what other folks do uh, define and impact what you know God has called you to do. The second one is you got to love perfectly. What does that mean? You got to love with an agape love. And that means loving your enemies. That's kind of hard to do. Let's be honest. Praying for folks who despitefully use you. That's kind of hard to do. Let's be honest. Because in my human nature, I don't want to love my enemy. And in my human nature, I don't want to pray for folks who talk about me and use me. But in order to do that, I got to have the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to love perfectly with an agape love. And then you got to lobby prayerfully. You got to make your request maybe be made before the Lord. You got to just go to the Lord and fall down on your face and talk to God and just tell God what's on your heart and trust that God will bring it to pass. That's how you handle the misery from other folks' ministry that they try to throw upon you. And I can even dare say, that's how you handle 
the misery from either other folks' life that they try to throw on you. Live peaceably with your others, with others and yourself. Love perfectly and lobby, lobby prayerfully. Let me continue to press on as far as this time is concerned. Because in verse 17, Paul talks about, but the latter. He's talking about those who preach from goodwill. Okay? But the latter, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The word defense is the apologetic of the gospel. Um, Paul wants us to understand that there are those of us who when we engage in ministry, we're doing it for the right reason. That we're sincere and we have a passion for the lost just like Paul. All right? In other words, Paul knew he had people in ministry that were on his side. Unholy people do not understand the things of God. Carnal-minded people do not appreciate spiritual things. So Paul knew he had some godly people that were on his side, that were praying for him, that were preaching the gospel, that were taking his letters and sharing it with others. And they also knew that he was not in prison because he had done bad. They, like Paul, saw prison as an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. And so I want to let you know that when you're doing the work of the kingdom, when you're doing the work of the Lord, you are never alone. This, this reminds me of the prophet Elijah. After he had defeated 450 of Baal's prophets along with another 400 prophets uh, of Asherah at Mount Carmel, God gave him an astounding defeat over those prophets. And... Jezebel at the time said, sent word to, to Elijah that she was going to kill him. And Elijah went into a state of depression. And he ran into hiding. And he wanted the Lord to kill him. And he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I'm the only person, the only one at this time that is carrying out your word, that is sharing your prophecy. And the Lord basically had to tell him, Hush, I got 7,000 prophets that have not bowed down to the altar of Baal. You're never alone. There's always others that are on the battlefield. You may not be able to see them, but you're never alone when you're doing the work of God. Let me say it again. You're never alone when you're doing the work of the kingdom. Let's get ready to wrap up because Paul says that even with the pretender and even though I got partners, here is the result of both, that Jesus Christ is being preached. Even with the pretenders, if their motives are wrong, but the message is right, 
folks can get saved. Let me say it again because I know that's mind-blowing. Even if their motives are wrong, God can take wrong motives, but if the message is right, somebody can get saved. Because ultimately, it ain't about the person, it's about the message. All right? Now watch this, because I know I'm getting ready to mess with somebody. And I want to say again, these people had issue with Paul, at times were preaching against Paul, but they were preaching Jesus Christ. Folks got saved. All right? So whenever a person shares the gospel, regardless of their intent, it's good. Because ultimately, God will judge the intentions of their heart and will judge it accordingly. Their pretending led somebody to Christ. Because guess what? The message is a lot bigger than the messenger. There, 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 there are some preachers who lifestyle we would question, but when they preach the gospel of Jesus, folks get saved, folks come to the Lord, folks are transformed. You're looking at their lives going like, but how is that? Because why? The message is bigger than the messenger. God will deal with them as far as their lives are concerned, but when they preach the message of Jesus Christ, lives are changed. Lives are changed. So these pretenders, even though they are preaching against Paul, they are preaching Jesus Christ, and folks are still getting saved. Look, look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Whether in pretense or in truth. I'm not making it up. Read it. It's in your Bible. But whether in pretense or in truth. All right, all right. Let, 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 me, let me read the message translation for you. In, in, in verse 18, Paul, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. So how am I to respond? I decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Jesus Christ is proclaimed, so I cheer on. And I'm going to keep on cheering on. Even in pretense, the gospel is preached and somebody's being led to Christ. God will deal with them according to their life. Okay. Because do remember that Jesus said, that on the day of judgment, there will be those who will come to him and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Lord, didn't we heal the sick and do other things in your name? Which means that people were blessed. People were blessed. And 
then Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I know you not. That even though people were blessed, ultimately you're going to be held accountable for the life that you live. So you can preach a transformative gospel, and if your life isn't changed the way that it's supposed to be changed, you deal with God on the day of judgment. Something for you to think about. Paul, Paul, Paul was just happy that the gospel was preached. And, and that allowed him to take his mind off those who were opposing him. Focus on the message rather than the messengers, and you can rejoice. I know somebody is thinking, shouldn't the preacher live the life he or she preaches? Yeah, they should. But if they don't and somebody gets saved, remember, it's God who does the saving. And God will deal with those whose lives do not line up with what they preach. So when negative things take place, look at the positive. Don't let the enemy keep you focused on the negative. Focus on the positive. When the enemy increases the assault, you increase your praise. When the enemy increases the assault, you increase your prayer. And when the enemy increases the assault, you increase your, pre- increase your preaching. As we get ready to close out this section, the reason that Paul was able to preach so boldly was because of prayer and the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance, my salvation, my freedom. Through your prayer, somebody was praying for Paul. And through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul was thanking the Philippians for praying for him, as well as thanking God for the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we pray for each other, The power of the Spirit lets us know we're not alone. Let me say it again. When we pray for one another, the power of the Spirit lets us know we're not alone. Okay? You can't worry about what people say when you're doing the work and the will of God. You just got to know that God is on your side and that God will see you through. See, as as a man of conviction, Paul shared his assurance that his chains would eventually lead to his deliverance. Okay? Paul's assurance was based on the prayers of the saints at Philippi because he knew that through their prayers and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would have the support that he needed to do the work that God wanted him to do. So I'll close on this, that when you're doing the work in the will of God, don't focus on what other folks have to say. You got to do what you know the Lord will have for you to do and trust that God will see you through. So for those that are listening to me, whenever you are preaching, or teaching, or serving, 
or sharing as far as what God would have for you to do. You can't get bent out of shape about what folks say about you. You just got to know you got to do what God wants you to do. Because I want you to know that if you don't have any opposition, you might not be doing what the Lord wants you to do. But when you do have opposition for doing right, not for doing something crazy or wrong, when you do have opposition for doing right, um, it becomes redemptive and it becomes transformative. Well, this is where I want to end for today. Uh, we will pick up next week on verse 20 and we will go through the end of this chapter to, to verse 30. And I look forward to next week unpacking this for you. Uh, but until then, meditate on this word. My prayer is that you will allow for this to seep deep into your hearts and your minds and your spirit. And that you will not only meditate but apply it to your lives so that God will get glory out of it. Amen. Well, as we come to an end of TNT for this moment, um, I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. But before we do that, um, if you feel led to be a blessing as far as this ministry is concerned during this moment of teaching, uh, you can give. Now, again, for those of you who do not have any significant income coming in, you've lost your job, You've been downsized. You've been furloughed. You do not have income that is able to sustain you at this time. I'm not expecting for you to give. If you do desire to give out of your sense of lack or poverty, God will bless you immeasurably. But for those of us that still have some income, I, I, I want to encourage you to allow for God's blessings, God's generosity to become your generosity. And you can give by sending a cash or check to the church, 1401 Allen Street. I mean, cash or money order, rather, to the church, 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or if you want to give, you can give online at our website, follow the giving tabs and its directions. Or you can give to the app called Givelify. And if you want to give at this, at this time, you can do that. Um... It would be greatly appreciated. Your work, your giving continues to allow for us to do great ministry, even in times of pandemic. Uh, we have ministries and, and missions that we're supporting internally and externally. And your giving, your generosity becomes a blessing for others. So at this time, I want to lead you in a closing prayer. We have persons who are dealing with death in their families. We have persons who are dealing with sickness. We have people in our community and those that are watching us online who are who just need the Lord to move in their situation. And so we're going to go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Let us bow our heads. God, we come and we thank you for this word that has been shared and we pray, God, that you will help us to keep our minds ever on thee. Not to get caught up in the noise of the naysayers but Lord empower us to focus on you and what you have for us God right now there are people who may be watching and listening who are experiencing death I pray you would give them comfort there are persons who 
may be experiencing sickness, I pray you will bring healing. There are persons who may be experiencing loneliness, I pray you will be a company keeper. There are persons who are experiencing lack, I pray you will supply their need. God, right now, in the name of your son Jesus, if you would, in your own sovereign way, remind us that we're never alone as we do your work. Now, God, as we prepare to leave from this moment of teaching, but never from your care and your comfort, bless right now and continue to undergird us with power and provision. It is in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. And in his name, we claim it done. Amen. Well, listen, we hope that you all will join us next Thursday, same time, as we continue study on Philippians. God bless.